Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge the status quo. That always needs challenging. But before we get into everything, like and subscribe to the Church Split. And I always forget to plug Patreon. If you want to support us on Patreon, that'd be great. Um, I We are actually, every single Sunday, I teach an apologetics class at my church, and I release those classes a whole month early before they're released to the public for the patrons because we wanted to do some sort of gesture to you guys for uh, giving us your hard-earned money. Money. Um, so we use all that money to just help support this because uh, sometimes it actually, believe it or not, costs money to do this stuff. So anyway, so I don't want to uh, tally very long on this. I don't want to, uh, I feel like that was the wrong word, but it doesn't matter. I don't want to hang out on this for too long. Um, just at the intro because this is bonkers so a couple of things guys uh clearly we're going to be talking about narnia and uh so for those of you guys who do not know um i might and this is going to come to as a shock to some of you uh i am a huge nerd i know i know hold back the shock and awe but i'm a big nerd and narnia of course like so many people uh impacted me in my life and with me also doing like some media reviews and stuff like that it just seemed like this was a perfect marriage of things to bring together because i don't know if you guys know this but a while back netflix actually purchased the rights to create Narnia content. So they actually own the licensing now and they can make a Narnia TV show. They've talked about doing a, t a whole production on, on Narnia. And uh, a bunch of people were like, yeah, we're so excited for Narnia. And uh, then there was people like me who was like, oh, kill me because I already know it's probably gonna be terrible. Because if you know anything about Netflix, it is either going to be really, 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 really good or really, 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 really bad. And then whatever they make has to be filled with political agendas and not about the source material. So those of you guys who were keeping up like with The Witcher, that was a big issue. The Witcher show that derailed Henry Cavill, of course, left and the whole thing's going down the drain. And this has happened many times at Netflix. That's just a most recent example. And then, of course, they've been shoehorning LGBT stuff no matter what it is. Like, uh, you know, Stranger Things, of course, why not? You know, why not just one character? But when we, you can have two and then it's constant and all the other stuff. So this was a concern of mine because Narnia is a, a Christian allegory. It's a Christian production, really. It's a Christian uh, literature, right? And so if, for those of you who are living under a rock, Chronicles of Narnia, especially the line, the witch in the wardrobe was written by C.S. Lewis, and it's a complete allegory of Christianity. If you don't know that by now, you're living under a rock. Uh, and if you do know that, it's probably because you live not under a rock. So anyway, so with that being said, what I'm going to do is um, I'm just going to go through this article. So what I did was when I found this out, I Googled, uh, you know, Chronicles of Narnia, and then this article came up, and it's by a lady named, uh, I think, Polly Toynbee, right? Yeah, Polly Toynbee. And uh, I got cancer uh, when I saw this, because the headline is, Narnia represents everything that is most hateful about religion. Yeah, so you know that's gonna be a garbage take right away. So I was like, well, hold on. <laughs> when I saw that, I'm like, I have to read this. So I did. And I have to share it with you because here's the, here's what's interesting. 
This was written after the 2005 movie, actually right before the 2005 movie was released. So that movie, by the way, uh, me and my entire family went and saw it. My dad took us all and my dad was, uh, he actually was a pretty big fan of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. So he took us all, all of us kids to go see this movie and uh, I fell in love with it. I loved it as a kid. And what's amazing is that if you go back and watch it as an adult, it still holds up. There's a few like green screen ugly moments, but I mean, that's expected, it's the early 2000s but it actually holds up really well and I was surprised we recently watched it with my uh, my uh, brother-in-law and it still holds up well and so it's a good movie and then this Polly Toynbee right before it came out wrote this for The Guardian and this is my concern so Netflix has the rights to this and this is the kind of language that was being talked about in 2005 okay we are 18 years from that, right? So <laughs> imagine how much worse it is now. So let's just get that out of the way. Um, so obviously, Comics of Narnia has had a huge influence on our culture, especially in Christianity, but just that culture at large, it blew up. Like, Comics of Narnia is massive. And so is, uh, of course, his friend J.R. Tolkien. Many of you guys are familiar with his works like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And so, and that's the thing, the 2005 movie really was coming off of that. So Lord of the Rings happened, smash hit, Harry Potter was happening, and Disney was like, we need our own money-making franchise. And then they did Narnia. And The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was really great. And then after that, it went through like production hell. They were really having a hard time keeping up with it, which is why like all the other two sequels were so far removed from the first one, and it just lost all hype. Um, so anyway, Polly Toynbee, the author of this article, she's a British journalist, and uh, she is a social Democrat and was actually a candidate for the Social Democrat Party in 1983 general election. So that there should tell you a lot about what we're about to look at. So um, anyway, and I will just get this out of the way right now. You can tell an awful lot about an article and that it's probably going to be trash uh, when they attempt to speak in as much sanctimonious drivel as possible. It's an attempt to basically sound smart and sophisticated uh, while only speaking uh, in opinions and parading them as facts. So I find it rather amusing. So anyway, just so you guys know, I have the article that I will be sharing on the screen with you guys. And I have notes on it on my iPad because I don't have like 16 monitors where I can just share one with you while I read notes over here. Um, I'm on a budget. So uh, actually, it's just I don't have room. I, don't, I, I might be able to make two happen here. But anyway, so... With no further ado, let's read this trash. Okay, so I'm gonna add the article to my uh, to the stream here. To bam, and all right, so you guys should be able to see that now. So there she is, uh, Polly Toynbee, and she. Uh, we're just gonna literally read through the entire thing, and I'm gonna make commentary as we go because this is just amazing. Because this should be a telltale sign of why I am nervous about the Narnia uh, fr franchise coming out. Also shows you everything wrong with like secular society today and how they understand Christianity. Anyway, she says, Aslan the lion shakes his mighty mane and roars out across Narnia and eternity. Christ is risen. However, not many British children these days will get the message. The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe opens this week to take up the mantle left by Lord of the Rings. C.S. Lewis's seven children's books, The Crown of Narnia, will be with us now and for many Christmases to come. Only Harry Potter has outsold these well-loved books, which is 85 million copies, apparently. 
how suitable that one fantasy saga should follow on fr- should follow on from another, despite the immense difference between the writings and magic worlds of these two old Oxford dons. It was J.R.R. Tolkien who converted C.S. Lewis to Christianity during one long all-night walk and ended in a dawn and revelation. Re- uh, sorry, ended in dawn and revelation. Narnia is a strange blend of magic, myth, and Christianity. Some of it is brilliantly fantastical and richly imaginative. Some, the clunking allegory, toe-curlingly, cringingly awful. (laughs) Told you guys, it's cancer. You're welcome. So right off the bat, she says that it's like, she's like, oh, it's all great, except for the allegory, which is literally what Chronicles of Narnia is period. (laughs) It is allegory. That's the entire point. So she's like, yeah, it's all great, except for the thing that makes it great. (laughs) Um, And she says it's fantastic and wonderful uh, when it's not basically pushing the Christian message. But what it is, it's what it's not is doing the Christian message. It's cringy, but the entire thing is literally that. So right off the bat, she's saying, I don't like this, right? That should tell you uh, a lot about uh, where we're going with this. So uh, let's go, let's just keep pushing here. All right. So, uh, this is going to be painful. All right. The new Disney film is remarkably faithful rendition of the books uh, of the book faithful in both senses. It is beautiful to look at and wonderfully acted. The four English children in their world are all authentically C.S. Lewis, old England, but from its old, but from its opening scenes of the bombing of their Finchley home in the Blitz and the tear jerking evacuation from their mother in a spotlessly clean steam train, there is an emotional undertow to this film that tugs on the heartstrings from the first frames. By the end, it feels profoundly manipulative, as Disney usually does. But then, that is also deeply faithful to the book's own arm-twisting emotional call to believers. Uh, so, right here, uh, so my favorite part is she says that it's uh, it's beautifully faithful, right? It's, man, it's a great faithful rendition of the books, but how dare it be so faithful because it's just as manipulative. So, when, when she says like, oh, it, you know, it's got, it starts off and it pulls on your te- your heartstrings and makes you tear and it's just really trying to get you into the drama of it because that way it can manipulate at, at you at the end with this Christian message. And my only point here is really like all other media, that's any good story should do that. If you don't have your audience hooked at the beginning of your movie or the, your book, you're not going to keep many of them, right? That's why movies that I, whenever I uh, tell people to watch a movie, and I know it's a, a good, a great movie, but it doesn't have a strong hook at the beginning. I always tell them it's a slow burn, right? And a lot of people use that terminology. It's a slow burn. One of my favorite movies of all time is Ridley Scott's Alien. But I'm telling you what right now, that movie is a slow burn. I love it, but I can see why some people are like, oh boy, that first like hour feels really slow. Uh, I totally understand. But anyway, so because Disney is not the only one that does that. So this right here should tell you that these people come at it with an agenda already, because basically, oh, it's got this great acting, it's got this great tone, it's beautiful, it's fantastical, it's got an engaging story, but because it's got a Christian message, it must be manipulative and bad. See that you see what I mean here is instantly a problem. So the film uh, uh, said she says the film arm twists because it delivers well on the emotional beats and themes. Really? 
again, like a normal good movie. I don't see anyone complaining about that in movies like, you know, Strange World that just came out with like an LGBT kid in it, right? They don't they don't say that. They just say, oh, wow, so beautiful, so brave, you know? <laughs> but um, so basically, uh, yeah, I hear her. She just hates good writing, all right? She just doesn't like good writing. So this is, again, the person who would probably love Netflix's adaptations because they would make most of the characters like, Watch it happen. Netflix does this. Edmund is going to be gay. I can promise you that, right? Oh yeah, he's just misunderstood. And there's us like the the uh, Christian snotty kids who don't understand him. Watch it happen, right? And then she'd be like, oh wow, that's beautiful and brave. Finally, character development because sexuality and ethnicity apparently are character qualities now as opposed to well-written characters, um, despite any of those things. So um, in fact, Right now, The Last of Us, uh, at this point, The Last of Us TV show on HBO, I don't know how it ends. So so what I'm saying has the first two episodes up right now. And the first two episodes of The Last of Us, people are loving it. And Ellie is known to be a lesbian and uh, in the video game. So everyone knows this, it's pretty well known. And yet even Christians are like, yeah, this is done well because we're caring about character development, right? Good story beats, like make me care about these characters. It, you're asking me to be invested in them in a multi-hour long saga, you better make me like them. So anyhow, that is, that's stupid. Um, so, all right, let's, let's move on and keep checking this article out. Cool, all right. So, um, Disney is deliberately promoting this film to be religious. It has a point, <laughs> Sorry, Disney is deliberately promoting this film to be religious. You mean because it is? It's a religious allegory. So stupid. It has appointed outreach and evangelical publisher to promote the Christian message behind the movie in British churches. The Christian radio station premiere is urging churches to hold services on the theme of the gospel according to Narnia. Okay, that's a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Even the Methodists have written a special Narnia-themed service and a Kent Parish is giving $10,000 worth of film tickets to single parent families. Are the children of single mothers in special need of the word? So let, let's be honest, only, only a hardcore leftist could take free tickets to families who generally speaking can't go do fun things because they're on a, a tighter budget. Only they would be like, why are they more in need? Can they not afford to go? Like, dude, I'm a middle-class American and I'm excited for free tickets. Shut up. It's just so silly. So, uh, of course, the, some of the ridiculous things here is uh, it deliberately promoting uh, this film as being religious when it is literally just that. It is religious. In <laughs> oh, you can't. Uh, it's so funny. So, and here's the other thing. She's saying it markets toward like religious audiences and Christians and like all these churches were getting in on this movie at the time. And this is why I am concerned about this and also the, the why most modern media sucks and why the Narnia show by Netflix is likely going to suck as well. So, because it's knowing the audience, people don't know audiences anymore. They only, they, whenever you heard that phrase, like, oh, this is made for modern audiences, you should, instantly be concerned because it usually means that we are just promoting like a woke agenda or um we care about like a super strong character that is normally portrayed as weak like female characters or whatever and then they strip out anything that makes them unique think ray from star wars that's a big fan like 
again, I mentioned it, Ridley Scott's Alien. Watch Alien and see how awesome Ripley is because you see her fear in Alien and Aliens, but you see her motherliness and her femininity still. And then you go watch something like Ray from Star Wars. And you tell me at the end which one you're more, you feel more connected with, okay? Um, so again, this whole idea of like, oh, they marketed to Christians. Yes, because it's Christian literature. Again, Harry Potter, so basically by this logic, Harry Potter shouldn't market to young adults. Twilight shouldn't market to teenage girls. Fifty Shades of Grey shouldn't uh, be marketing to bored housewives who have far too much time on their hands. Anyway, um, but honestly, if someone was making a movie about Muhammad or an allegory about Muhammad, and you were not marketing Muslims, you'd be stupid because you'd be marketing the wrong audience, right? That's that's so dumb. So know your audience. Narnia is literally Christian literature. It's better for it's better to market Christians, right? This is the problem again with that modern audience curse, as I was saying. So they forget the audience. They think again that race, sexuality, gender, our character quality is worth caring about, but miss the bulk of what makes a good character a good character, which is them as a person, their flaws, their fears, and see them overcome those things, see them struggle against those things. That's that's what makes it good, right? So um, it's, just, it's so silly. So again, know your audience, uh, make good characters. Studios are so out of touch nowadays and Netflix is definitely one of them. So Netflix, do not follow this woman's advice. If you want that your show to be a smash hit, market it to Christians. Simple as that. You market to Christians to stay faithful to the source material, you'll be great. In fact, actually, if you're just faithful to the source material, you're gonna be great. You don't even need to market to Christians because non-Christians like Narnia and they're okay with the with the allegories because you know what? Even if you think Christianity is a myth, uh, people like stories that are based on myths, okay? Actually, um, there's that movie that came out, uh, was it last year or the year before? N the Northman, The Northman. Um, that movie was awesome, but a lot of people don't realize that, sh that Shakespeare's, um, oh my gosh, I keep wanting to say Hansel. <laughs> That's not it. Anyway, um, but Shakespeare was uh, Shakespeare uh, based one of his plays off of it. If you know, let me know in the chat below because it's driving me crazy. That I, I, it starts with an H, I know, and it's just driving me nuts. So Shakespeare, based uh, the based on that Northman uh, story, and then guess what? The Lion King is based off of the Shakespeare story. Hansel. It's not that, what, what is it? That's driving me crazy right now. But anyway, this is why you should not speak off of your, like away from your notes because then this makes you sound dumb. So anyway, um, so anyway, when, I think of like what happened with Rings of Power, right? Rings of Power wasn't faithful to his source material. Uh, a lot of people hated it. It what did not feel Tolkien-esque because it was against the philosophy essentially of what made Tolkien so great, which by the way, Inspiring Philosophy has a great video on that if you haven't watched it before. So um, if you follow this woman's advice, uh, Netflix, uh, you will lose, and you lose the Christian themes of Narnia. You will lose the heart of Narnia, and you'll end up basically creating a bastardization that no one likes again. Think the new Velma series that everyone's hating on, The Rings of Power, Witcher. All these are great, great examples of people that, that, that were not well received by a lot of people. So when people watch Narnia, they want Narnia, right? I've never heard anything so insanely stupid as to complain that a Christian themes in a Christian media within Christian literature is wrong because it's marketing Christians. It's so stupid. So although Narnia uh, themed services is messed up, it's an, uh, 
And like, I don't like that, right? Christian, like if you go to church and it's like a Narnia theme, I'd be like, okay, that's weird. That's messed up. I don't like that. I think that's wrong, but marketing Christians is actually pretty smart. So Nar Narnia theme service is stupid, but because not scripture, but you know, obviously keep that where it belongs. So let's move on. Let's keep on trucking. All right. So U.S. <laughs> sorry, U.S. born agains are using the movie. The Mission America Coalition is inviting church leaders around the country to consider the fantastic ministry opportunity presented by the release of this film. The president's brother, Jeb Bush, the governor of Florida, is organizing a scheme. It's a scheme, guys. It's a scheme for every child in his state to read the book. Oh my gosh, it is a horrible scheme to have children read literature within history that has had a massive cultural impact. You're right. You know what? Children in, in schools also shouldn't read Lord of the Flies, whatever. Uh, Walden Media, co-producer of the movie, offers a 17-week Narnia Bible study for children. Okay, that's a little weird. I'll admit that. The owner of Walden Media is both a big Republican donor and donor to the Florida governor's book promotion, a neat synergy of politics religion and product placement. It has aroused protests from American United Americans United for separation of church and state. That sounds like a garbage organization, which complains that a governmental endorsement of the book's religious message is a violation of the First Amendment rights. And this is why it's so stupid, because guess what? It is not a violation of the First Amendment rights. In fact, it could easily be argued that it is quite the opposite. Uh, somebody being able to speak about what they endorse is literally free speech, even if you're in government. Like, if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez randomly was just like, hey, I like, I don't know, some book based on an allegory of the Quran, all right? Um, and no one would bat an eye, right? It's, it's not that big of a deal because you're saying that you like something. Now, him trying to get other kids to read it, Great. Also, I don't see the problem with churches being like, oh my gosh, Narnia, this huge thing that has a huge Christian message to it that people are going to flock to for entertainment. This is a great opportunity for us to share uh, the Christian story that it's based on. That is, that's perfectly logical. I don't see the problem at all. Like, hey, you want to understand that allegory? That was actually an allegory. If you don't, if you, they didn't know it, then they will. And also when she says that U.S. born agains, like that's what she calls it, U.S. born agains. The, the, this woman is so condescending. You can even you can hear the tone right there, right? You mean like, Christians? <laughs> I thought you liberals were all about inclusivism, right? Like I thought that was your whole shtick. So come on, this feels it feels like the exact opposite of such. So using a mocking term like this towards uh, Islam or Hinduism uh, would get you know she would actually probably frown upon. But it's okay because you're Christian. Inclusivism and all that. Remember. <clears throat> You know, when she says, like, it, again, she, it has aroused uh, protests from American United Separation of Church and State about the free speech issue. Because, again, um, so, again, what Jeb Bush, right, he's a Christian man who is in politics. He encourages Christians to use this as an opportunity to expose people to a Christian message. And she says it violates the... It's just, it doesn't. It, again, it's an exercise of the First Amendment rights. That's why, like, the idea of separation of church and state, people don't understand that. The point was that the church can't be in power with the state. It doesn't mean that the state can't use terms like, in God we trust, or that people in government can't be religious. It's, it, people are just, they don't understand what these things are. Um, he wants every child in the state to read the book. Again, not a problem. Sorry, I'm going through my notes. Uh, oh, yeah, also, it's a fantasy story, right? So you're endorsing a fantasy story that's based on a Christian allegory. 
I see no one, again, no one complaining in schools when they often require reading like The Hobbit. The Hobbits are oftentimes, uh, uh, Hamlet, sorry, the live chat. Thank you, uh, Jeremy, Hamlet. I was like, I, I, it was driving me nuts. Okay, so we'll make that point again. The Northmen, the original story, Hamlet was based on the Northmen. The Lion King was based on Hamlet, which was based on the Northmen. There we go. Oh, Jeremy, thank you. You just, I feel stupid. I'm going to just put you on the screen there so that way everyone knows. I'm sure anyone listening to the audio after this is like, oh, my word. I can't believe I actually subscribed to this podcast because Will is dumber than dirt. Anyhow, <laughs> um, so as I was saying, the Hobbit is required reading in many schools. Many schools require The Hobbit to, re, uh, to be read. Tolkien was also a Christian with many Christian themes as well. Uh, you, you pay attention to Lord of the Rings. There's a ton of Christian themes. So why isn't that a violation of First Amendment rights for someone to be like, yeah, everyone should read The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. That's it's just silly. Um, what about other classical works with Christian messages in them? You know, like the, like, uh, the book uh, Jane Eyre from 1847, which is considered a classic work. Uh, are all these to be banned? Like, it's just, it gets ridiculous. This is why it doesn't matter. People should be able to read things, right? So these are the people again. So again, this, this leftist mentality are the people again, who want to focus on things like slavery of, uh, slavery and the past sins of our culture and our nation. And they scream like, you can't ignore our history. Notice the, notice the slavery and all the things and a racism in our past while at the same time, pretending that our history isn't also dripping with Christian influence. It's not even remotely honest. So uh, I say we just do both, right? We talk about the good and the bad in history. And we talk about our influences and we're completely okay with that. What, what's impacted our culture, especially her being in Britain, like Europe was and is uh, in many ways still like a Christian central force. Like that's where Christ Germany, you know, is where a lot of great theologians are from. And many C.S. Lewis himself was British, which is what makes us funny here in a little bit. So anyway, she says, uh, she continues on. This just gets sillier as we go. Uh, Dis Disney may come to regret this alliance with Christians, at least on the side of this, at least on this side of the Atlantic for all the enthusiasm of churches, Mel Gibson's, the passion of the Christ bombed in Britain and warehouses are stuffed with unsold DVDs of the stomach churner. There are too few practicing Christians in the empty pews of this most secular nation to pack cinemas. So there has been a queasy ambivalence about how to sell the Narnia film here. Its director, Andrew Adamson of Shrek fame, says the movie's Christian themes are open to the audience to interpret. One soundtrack album of the film has been released with, a, with religious music and the other with secular pop. Um, by the way, if you haven't listened to the soundtrack of the 2005 Narnia film, you are missing out. That slaps. It's such a good soundtrack. And uh, I also like how she's like, yeah, it has like, it's got like Christian messages. And then again, oh, oh, the Christian literature based film has Christian sounding lyrics. Oh, no. But then also the uh, the end credits with a pop, like she almost says like it's like a bad thing that has pop. Like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like because of the condescension that has a condescending tone as well. But again, that was that's pretty normal. Like, you know, orchestral scores throughout and then pop music themed off of the movie in the credits scene. That's pretty, pretty normal. Um, so when she says that, this is what cracked me up, though. OK, so remember when I said that most of these elites are entirely disconnected and tone deaf? 
Remember I said that at the beginning um, or, or something along that nature. So this is a great example of such when she's saying that Disney's going to regret this, that Mel Gibson's passion of the Christ uh, it did not make it wasn't a big hit essentially in Britain and that the warehouses are chock full of the DVDs, stuff like that. So I did a little thing called Google um, just for kicks and giggles. Uh, so remember the absolute ridiculous travesty of the Passion of the Christ and trying to market that to British people and how silly the whole thing was. Uh, the Passion of the Christ grossed $612.1 million. Yeah, she's right. Too few practicing Christians to fill the theaters, let alone the pews. She's right, you know, $612.1 million later, definitely no audience there, I'm sure. Oh, but what's this? Narnia? What did Narnia make? I'm sure that was just a big flop because, you know, marketing to Christians who can't even fill pews is, you know, silly and foolish. $745 million. Yeah. Let, re, right. Yeah. So that's, that was stupid, right? That was foolish for them to market it the way they did. So I guess Christian marketing was a big waste of time and there really aren't enough Christians to fill the seats. So silly. These people, seriously, like the, 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 like the leftist elites especially, but the elites in general, are the most tone-deaf people on the planet, dripping really with self-righteous arrogance, but not understanding the majority of normal people. Look at a voting map. Notice how much, like just in, in America, notice how much is red, notice how much is blue. You'll notice that the areas that are blue are highly concentrated, mostly highly concentrated areas in big cities, and the rest are rural country areas or like more like smaller, less urban states. And it's like those are generally speaking, you know, your Republicans who are going to be Christian. There's going that's probably going to be a stronger theme there. And guess what? Christians, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of us Christians. You should look, you know, you know, we're one of the you know, biggest religions on the planet. A lot of times Christians are just tired of being condescended to and preached at by a secular society who doesn't understand Christianity enough to even speak to it in the first place. So when Christians actually are giving, given like proper good media that represents things properly, they get stoked about it. They're like, oh, finally, something that's well done because we all know Christian media tends to be trash, so bad. Um, and that's why I think The Chosen's been so popular, even though I haven't watched a single episode of it. I've heard nothing but that it's really well done, even from my theology uh, geek friends. So anyway, so uh, again, in the movies and media, the only thing that should matter is the money, right? Let's be honest. If you're making something, if you're producing something, all that need, should worry, the only thing you should worry about is the money, which means you should be trying to do faithful adaptations to video games or, or books, and that you should be trying to market the right people, just like what made those successful. And that's what blows me away. It's very simple. It's very simple. Keep faithful to the source material and market the same audience, and you'll be successful. And then you'll pick up other stragglers along the way who don't like to read as much or something, right? Or who don't play video games. So, um, and then she goes on again, the soundtrack is absolutely awesome. It was, um, 
So back then, I actually listened to that soundtrack probably once a day. I bought the CD back when CD and cassette players were still pretty normal, but I bought the CD. had a little Walkman CD player kind of situation there. Uh, you guys might remember those. I And I listened to the Narnia soundtrack all the time. Uh, in fact, when I did uh, martial arts stuff, I did a martial arts thing to one of the soundtracks, oddly enough. <laughs> so anyway, there's no queasy ambivalence here. They knew how to market it, and it was a wild su success. So too bad the rest of the series basically suffered from development hell but you know narnia was fantastic back then so anyway then she goes on to uh make things worse <clears throat> she says most british children will be utterly clueless about any message beyond the age-old mythic battle between good and evil most of the fairy story works as well as the Norse saga, pagan legend, or modern fantasy. So only the minority who are familiar with Christian iconography will see Jesus and the lion. After all, 43% of people in Britain in a recent poll couldn't say what Easter celebrated. Among the, the young, apart from those in faith schools, that number must be considerably higher. Ask art galleries. They now have to write the story of every religious painting on the labels as people no longer know what agony in the garden or uh, deposition or transfiguration or ascension means. This may be regrettable cultural ignorance, but it means Aslan will stay just a lion to most moviegoers. <laughs> so, because he will remain just a lion, it means, you know what, she's get rid of the religious themes because I mean, what would you do? Like, how do you re remove that? So like, Aslan's supposed to be like this glorious, awe-inspiring presence when you see him. Uh, he dies on the stone table and resurrects, gives himself over to the witch to be killed in Ed in Edmund's, uh, on Edmund's behalf. Like, all these things happen. It is so, like, how do you tell that story then without those religious themes? Because half those things are exactly the importance of, like, I don't understand what what do people want like how can you possibly even try so again people might not get the messaging right okay so maybe 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 she's right maybe up to 43 percent and i'm sure that's a very biased poll because you cannot tell me that that many people really don't know what easter is about i feel like that's exaggerated poll of some sort or very particular very weird pool of people that was taken but maybe they don't whatever They're, the world's full of dumber people um but as it, I'm sure it's just a thing and ignorance is high and religious themes are being more and more removed from things. So maybe possibly, but I doubt strong doubt. Let me know what you think in the comments below. If you think that's, that's true or even better. Yeah. If you find that poll post it, that'd be interesting. So anyway, um, again, you might not get the messaging, right? Who cares? That's not the point. The point is to be faithful to your source material and by doing that, make money. Right. And recently the story that again, the Northman came out, and the the Northman came out and no one knew, most people, I, at least, most people didn't know that the Northman was based on, uh, that Hamlet was based on the Northman. And most people don't know that the Lion King is based on Hamlet. Who cares? You're just being, <laughs> you're just being, uh, what's the word? You're just being faithful to the source material. That is all. Like, that should be your main goal. So, um... Anyway, uh, let's, let, let's what, else, what else here? So she said, among the young, apart from the, uh, those in faith school. So even if this were so, does it really matter that kids don't get all of this, that kids don't know all that? Does it really matter? Not really, right? It really doesn't. Because again, being faithful to source material doesn't mean people have to know the source material, 
right? Many people love Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Now, are they perfect in every way? No, like Lord of the Rings removes Tom, Tom Bombadil. The uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2 changes the way Harry and the wand and how, at the end works and how Voldemort is basically killed. Like that, that entire scene's a little different in, in the books. But overall, they were a wild success because they were extremely faithful. But also, I didn't have to, I, I did not read Lord of the Rings before I watched the, the movies back when I was a kid because those movies came out when I was young. And then I wasn't allowed to watch them, but I was allowed to watch Narnia. Make that make sense. Uh, Dad, if you watch this, you know what you did. You know that doesn't make sense now. Just, just saying. It's a problem. Deeply hurt. Anyhow, <laughs> so the fact that, anyway, the fact that this secular woman who says the culture is ignorant on such things, while also clearly uh, using theological language like transfiguration, uh, that should be quite telling that these people know more than they are claiming because she herself knows quite a bit about it as a liberal. So I just find this funny because she's like, Psh, none of these people will get it, as she says from her liberal elite tower, which she clearly does. So, um, and then what is uh, alternate media? What's going on, guys? Uh, they say that the age-old myth uh, of the battle between good and evil is inherently religious. To strip religion from it is to strip it all, uh, strip it of all relatable relevance. Absolutely, and that's exactly it. Like the battle between good and evil is religious. That is absolutely true, right? Righteousness versus the unrighteous, the good versus the wicked. Uh, that's why God is always talked talk about as the light, and that in Him is no darkness at all. That's all. That's all part of that. There's like that idea, like there's a sense of a dualistic view of good versus evil. That because that you are referencing a moral standard, right? A reference, a reference point for what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. Otherwise, you just have disagreement of the highly evolved and intelligent monkeys. <laughs> I feel like there's a meme in there with uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but I'm not clever enough to come up with one right now. But anyway. So okay, let's let's see let's see what else is uh, let's see what else is on here because this is going to be great. Um, so she says, uh, all the same, children may puzzle over the lion and ask embarrassing questions uh, or inquisitive questions. Like, why is it embarrassing to ask what the lion is? Whatever. Uh, for non-C.S. Lewis aficionados, here is a recap: the four children enter Narnia through a wardrobe and find themselves in a land frozen into. Always winter, never Christmas. But the White Witch, played by the elemental force by Tilda Swinton. By the way, that was a great casting. She did an amazing job. Unhappy middle child Edmund, resentful of being bossed about by his old, older brother, broods with meanness and misery. The devil, in the shape of the witch, tempts him for the price of several chunks of Turkish delight rather than 30 pieces of silver. Edmund betrays his siblings and their Narnian friends. Can we please, by the way, talk, address this for a moment, though? Why, why Turkish Delight? The most subpar candy sweet on planet Earth, and that's what it is. Actually, if you read the book, by the way, it's like basically the candy she gave him was like this ultimate temptation that made him crave for more. So think of it kind of like a drug. So um, anyhow, that's that I find to be... Um, yeah, that's just, again... Okay, so you, she, of course, the way she recaps it is a little condescending, but who cares? All right, that's um, the sins of the sons of Adam can only be redeemed by the supreme sacrifice of Aslan, the Christ lion willingly laying down his life so 
submitting himself to be bound, threshed, and humiliated by the white witch, allowing his golden mane to be cut and himself to be slaughtered on the sacrificial stone table. It cracks in sympathetic agony, and his body goes missing. The two girls lay down their heads and weep, Magdalene and Mary-like. Be warned, the film lingers long and lovingly over the, all this. Like, be, like, Again, these people remove all joy from any sort of media. This is, you want to know why your media sucks now? You want to know why stories suck now? It's because of people like this who just take the good thing that you love and just cram it down and make it suck. And they're just like, nope, that's all bad. So the moment that this godlike creature that everyone hears about, this Aslan who's on the move and, and, and everyone's like, who's this Aslan guy? Then when he comes out, like he steps out of the tent, you see him for the first time, it's playing this majestic music and it like the sun is gleaming on him because it's supposed to be giving off like a godlike, Christ-like glow about him. And uh, just another, in general, he's supposed to be like a very divine being in Aslan, in uh, Narnia lore. And he, be, he gives his life up for a sniveling brat who wanted to turn in his siblings and rule over them. And he gets killed as a martyr, and it's bad that it lingers long and heavy on this to show the value of life. Again, the, of course, these are people who are probably for abortion and whatnot, so they don't really care about that. But the fact that somebody would lay down their life and be that selfless is, you know, it lingers long and heavy at the loss of this beloved main character that the movie spends two-thirds of hyping up. Yes, it should. I mean, did anyone like, did, did, is, does anyone complain in I Am Legend when they li linger long and heavy at his dog's death? No. Oh, but it's a problem when Narnia do, does it because, you know, Narnia is Jesus. So that's got to be a problem. A group of people that say they, think about that too, this too, like the, the, the leftist uh, people, the, the people who say they love and care about others can't even get behind a part of the narrative that is literally about the selfless giving of oneself. Throw the Christian message out the window for a second. You can't get behind that because you just don't like the fact that it's got a Christian message. And this was written, by the way, guys, remember 18 years ago when that movie came out and Netflix is supposed to be putting on this and things are far more liberal than they were back then. I'm, my hopes are not high. So this exposes really her selfish outlook at the world because it's not about serving others, but it's about serving herself, apparently. Self-sacrificial giving? Well, we can't have any of that nonsense. Roll out the vague and ambiguous morality and the dark and broody heroes with uh, ambiguous moral values. Now, don't get me wrong. I like a good dark narrative with an anti-hero uh, saying that's the next guy. I really do. But you know what? Sometimes... It really is nice and refreshing. I find Narnia refreshing, right? Because as someone who likes those darker and more complicated anti-heroes, sometimes it's nice to have something that is purely wholesome without trying to show like moral gray and make you wrestle with those things. Instead, it just shows straight up awe-inspiring righteousness versus wickedness and evil. And it, because what it does is actually kind of cuts down the, the middle here and says, yeah, those morally gray, ambiguous things aren't actually morally gray. There is a right and wrong to them. And Narnia is very big on that. And so is Christianity and Judaism and other groups. But, you know, we can't have any of that because we live in a secular, pluralistic society that doesn't like being told what they're doing is wrong while they sit in their ivory tower and tell you that you're wrong. 
So there's that, uh, that, that cancer for the day. All right, let's keep moving. So, but then she goes, um, oh, oh, where am I? Uh, she goes, but so far, so good. The story makes sense. The lion exchanging his life for Edmonds is the sort of thing Arthurian legends are made of. Oh, so now you're okay with it. Parfait knights and heroes in prisoner of war camps do it all the time. But what's this? After a long dark night of the soul, of the soul and women's weeping, the lion is suddenly alive. Why? How? Many children used to ask. Well, it is hard to say why. It does not make any more sense in C.S. Lewis's tale than in the Gospels. Ah, Aslan explains, it is the deep magic where pure sacrifice alone, uh, pure sacrifice alone vanquishes death. Uh, okay, real quick. Um, so how does that not make sense? It makes as much sense as it does in the, uh, in the gospel accounts. You mean because Jesus is divine? Like anyone reading the gospel accounts knows that it makes sense. Whether you agree with Christianity or not, the very fact of what is being said about Jesus makes sense in the narrative. Okay, the whole thing that my time is not not yet come, you know, there's going to be a promised resurrection for, of the dead that was prophesied in Judaism and Israel for hundreds of years before. And Paul talks about that afterwards. It makes sense. He's the firstborn of all creation, the first resurrected one. And in him, we get to partake of the resurrection. It's mystical. It's, it's mystical. It's powerful. It's mythical. It's got this, this otherworldly spirituality to it. And this is coming from, she's like, this doesn't make sense, but really, really? Uh, anything with supernatural stuff could be accused of the same thing. But again, because it's Christian, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. And she's like, well, what, how? Oh, that he describes this, the deep magic. Yes, the deep magic is an allegory for natural law. It, which is basically an ontological law that said that binds all things, including God himself, because he, by his own nature, is, is that ontology. He is that natural law. It lives and resides within him, and he abides by it, which is why in, he can never do no evil. He cannot tell a lie. So uh, it's just, yeah, it, the, the deep magic. That is a perfectly, a perfectly fine explanation compared to some of the ridiculous plot twists I've seen in other media that literally don't make sense. You guys know which ones I'm talking about. Like certain plot twists at the end, like in the movie Sixth Sense, make perfect sense. And when you watch, when you know the plot twist, and you rewatch the movie, it makes the movie all that much better. But then there's other movies like um, that horror film that came out a while ago called like The Boy, where the guy like lives in the wall and the doll was never really possessed. Spoiler alert, sorry. Um, that plot twist doesn't really make a lot of sense when you rewatch the film. It's just like, uh, um, okay. So um, <laughs> Jeremy Williams says, apparently someone needs to cite the deep magic to that witch. <laughs> Got him. All right. So, <laughs> all right, let's just watch the rest of this. This is good. Read the rest of this. It's going to be great. So, all right. Um, of all the elements of Christianity, oh, this is great. The most repugnant is the notion of the Christ who took our sins upon himself and sacrificed his body in agony to save our souls. Did we ask him, poor child Edmund, to blame himself 
for everything must bear the full weight of guilt. Only Christians know how to inflict with a twisted knife to the heart. Every one of those thorns the nuns use to tell my mother has hammered into Jesus's holy head every day that you don't eat your green, every day you don't eat your greens and say your prayers when we are told. So the resurrected Aslan gives Edmund a long, life-changing talking to thought to uh high up on the on the rocks of, out of earshot when the poor boy comes down with the sacred lion's breath upon him he is transformed and recognizably into a stepford brother well and truly purged again christian allegory that's normal that's what should be here but also how is it the most repugnant thing to save people's lives who didn't ask because and of course a typical like liberal right like oh and we went on like six dates and he tried to kiss me and i never asked him i didn't give consent for him to try to kiss me because they literally don't know how romance works but you know that's all the rage nowadays of how half the stuff were it is like well well we didn't ask him to save our lives you know what Cool, then if there's ever a giant asteroid that is going to smash into our planet and destroy it all, I'll make sure I call all 7 billion people and make sure they're cool and I get permission to do that, okay? <laughs> How is that repugnant? It's like, no, this man who was innocent gets condemned, doesn't say a word, and he humbly goes and gives his life up to save people he loves. That, that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. That's, that's a beautiful thing. It's a selfless thing. But again, be, the left literally cannot fathom. They, have, they are incapable of fathoming this, this, this amount of selflessness. Because honestly, the, left, the leftist worldview is probably one of the most selfish worldviews on planet Earth, right? You, you have to respect these things. You cannot you know, if you if you use the wrong pronoun, nope, can't do that. You know what? I disagree with the religious rights. You better, uh, as a minister, do, be willing to do same-sex uh, marriage marriages. You better do these things. Why? Because it's all about me and my views. And you know what? You better give us more money because we want to give that money to other people who might not work, who might not have done those things. But you know what? You keep working so you can support everybody else. It's literally the most selfish worldview on planet Earth but yet they have the audacity to say that. So, I mean, think about it. Tony Stark at the end of Endgame saved the entire world. Remember, you know, I am Iron Man, snap, right? Did anyone ask him to do that? How dare? It's just so stupid. You can't make this stuff up. So again, whenever, Aslan also saved Edmund. It's this, she, of course, conveniently misses this point. Oh, poor Edmund with all the weight and the guilt. Yes, the weight of the guilt of betraying people. The point is, is that sin or doing wrong things to others, negatively impacting your family or your friends or your community through selfish actions should make you feel guilty. Guilt is, I, I get so tired of this nowadays, like guilt is bad. No, it's not. Guilt is good. Feeling guilt is good. If you've done something wrong, you should feel guilty about it. And you should correct that, right? So that's not bad. That's not a bad thing at all. He should feel guilty. But then he comes down after he receives the breath of life, essentially, and he re and he is born again. That's the whole point here. And it says that he is purged. Yes, he is purified. Again, new creation. You would you could probably learn something from this, Miss Polly. Um, so Edmund is purged. The family comes together, and get 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 this. 
the family also realizes that they were too harsh on Edmund and that they all need to love one another and stand up together as a family, as siblings. That's a great story. That's one that nowadays with our fractured family structures, one that could be pushed a little bit more wholesome family things like, yes, you know what? You're not going to have another brother or sister. So you love the one you have. And you know what? You look out for one another. You don't try to get one up over one another. You look out for each other. You love one another. Don't be harsh and critical of each other. Support it. Like, these are good morals. Yes, good grief. So, uh, and so Edmund also realized that his family loves him and that he was resenting them. And remember, resentment causes many problems. As Polly Toynbee, you'd think, would ought to know. She clearly uh, is having some resentment towards some sort of Christianity. And... Uh, Maybe she more sympathizes with Judas. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> she was mentioning like Catholicism on here, you know, the way, oh yeah, you know, every time this, you know. Okay, so uh, I love how she's pointing and like bickering about Catholicism. When C.S. Lewis was not a Catholic, actually that was one of the things that frustrated Tolkien with him was that he wouldn't convert to Catholicism. So like, dude. <laughs> oh man, anyway, it's just, you can't, these people, man, you just, you can't. All right, so uh, Tolkien hated Narnia, she says. The two Dons may have shared the same love of unquestioning feudal power. <laughs> she calls Christianity feudal power, get that. With the worlds of obedient plebs and inferior folk eager to bend at the knee to any passing superior white persons, even children, both their fantasy worlds and their Christianity assumes that rigid hierarchy of power. Lord of the Rings, King of Kings, Prince of Peace, to be worshipped and adored, but Tolkien disliked Lewis's bully pulpit. People like this are just, wow. You mean the two Dons share the same love, unquestionably feudal power? It's not about feudal power. Do you not understand the, the story of Jesus? Apparently not. Maybe maybe I was wrong on the fact that you're, you seem familiar with it. You're just misrepresenting. Because it's not about power. Jesus humbled himself and he said, blessed are the meek and the poor in spirit. Those are things that turn the other cheek. It's, it's not about feudal power. Tolkien also, uh, he didn't hate Narnia. That's an exaggeration. Tolkien wasn't a giant fan of Narnia, but again, who cares? So Tolkien wasn't a big fan of it because the, the uh, it basically it seemed like he didn't like it because Narnia's allegory was too on the nose, but who cares? Because both series are loved by the masses. And even Tolkien was like, he kind of remained indifferent where he was just like, um, okay. Like, I'm not a big fan of it, but whatever. Some people seem to enjoy it. That's cool. And uh, also, yes, Jeremy, exactly. That's another thing. Every fantasy series uses feudal ec economy system, right? Because it's dealing with kings and queens and kingdoms and lands and realms and all that. It's very feudal in general, right? So it makes sense. And they're trying to portray him as a king of kings, as she said, but it, this gets worse. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that as we go. But Tolkien never said, again, anything said there. Otherwise, again, Tolkien remained largely indifferent, and he never tore it apart, nor did he endorse it. He even admitted that it was good for some people. That uh, So, again, she's not quite correct there. Um, also, uh, it is how, uh, how is this at all anything to do with superior white people? The superior white person in this is the witch. <laughs> you think that they would be okay with that? Like, oh, the pale white witch. Yeah, get her. 
<laughs> we don't like white people. You'd think that would be a, a discussion here, but no, it's it's not. It's because it, it, again, we have to stick with the the narrative that well, the Pevensies, those four kids, yeah, those those kids, psh, I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for those meddling kids. Anyhow, if it wasn't for those kids being white, you know, though the kids are white, so therefore it's got to be about you know white supremacy. But that just does not follow. Again, she's white. It's a European fantasy story. If we had a, a movie series that was based on like um, Egypt, the Egyptian pantheon, which by the way, I'm down for that. And you didn't have people that looked Egyptian. I would have a problem with that because it'd be like, okay. In fact, they did that with like gods of Egypt or whatever that came out like years ago. Um, and it was, it was really cringy. It wasn't very good. It wasn't very good at all, but I would love a really faithful adaptation of that sort of stuff. There's a reason why, again, the God of War series uh, has been pretty popular because it's pretty faithful to the Norse mythology recently, right? Uh, staying faithful to the source material actually works. Anyway, um, again, Tolkien was a traditionalist. Lewis's stories show that even the animals themselves are valuable creatures. And that's the, that's the whole thing. Like when you look at Narnia, the whole thing is supposed to be, look how beautiful this creation is. Look how majestic this is. So even the creatures themselves had value, value. So only an entirely brain dead person would think that this could possibly be anything like white supremacy because it is saying that everyone is valuable. Everything is of great importance and it, none of it should be discounted and every life even that of a betrayal snotty of a betraying snotty kid deserves to be saved and under freedom so and again they assume the rigid hierarchy of power but um that you say that but that's what they're assuming you say no read the book and read tolkien's books they're condemning power. Literally the one ring to rule them all is the ring of what? Of what? Power. Because power, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? And that's what a big thing in Tolkien's works, how, how power keeps corrupting. That's why it's a, 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 like a sweet little hobbit that saves the day because he doesn't have power. He's the most meek among them. Uh, same thing with the Pevensies, kids, children. But God said, you know, suffer little children to come unto me. It's not about power. They were way outside of their class. In the last battle, it was the reinforcements that saved them. Aslan's reinforcements. They were, it was not about power at all, as far as like uh, some sort of might makes right thing, which he claims of. Um, Narnia, again, condemns the witch's abuse of power. Aslan wants to bring freedom, not captivity, so that people can choose to live their life freely which means in service or not in service to him, right? Just like Christ did with us. So in fact, Nardians were actually, again, were losing the battle. They were powerless, not powerful. So this is the only powerful figure was Aslan and he's the only one that scared the witch. The only one, the rest of the time, man, that girl, that woman had audacity like no one else. <laughs> she did not care. So anyhow, let's just, let's keep trucking. Uh, I was hoping that this, this wouldn't last too long, but I'm ranting too much. So she says, over the years, others have had uneasy doubts about the Narnian brand of Christianity. Christ should surely be no lion, let alone with the oratund voice of Liam Neeson. He was the lamb representing the meek of the earth, weak, poor, and refusing to fight. Philip Pullman of the marvelously secular trilogy, His Dark Material says, he called Narnia one of the most ugly, poisonous things I have ever read. Uh, okay, so um, remember guys, the fantasy novels, 
fantasy novels with talking beavers is poisonous. <laughs> Jesus is described, she says, as a sacrificial lamb, the meek, and all that. Sure, yeah, absolutely. <gasps> oh, but wait. Um, what is this in Revelation 5, 5? And the elder said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus is also described as the lion of Judah. He's a conqueror. Read It's almost like people just like read Jesus's ministry and they don't finish the, finish the New Testament. It's like, read the end. Jesus comes back with a lot of judgment and with a conquering force. That's when, because that's what Israel is waiting for is like a conquering Messiah. Well, you see that when he comes back, that's like, that's what he's going to do. So uh, anyway, it's just the whole thing, uh, you know, uh, with the lion and that's just silly. Anyhow, um, huh, then when she says that, uh, let's see. Oh, okay, hold on, hold on. I think there's something else I wanted to say. Let me pull this up. I apologize. Hold on, let me look at this over the years. Oh yeah, and uh, again, there's nothing wrong with this brand of Christianity. Christianity should have strength to it. Christianity is the one that defended, whether people like like the, the medieval periods or the dark periods, uh, Christianity is what protected the Western world in many, many ways. And it was many Christians who went to war for freedom, such as things in the Civil War to free slaves. So this whole, it's like, nope, nope, that the whole idea of Christians fighting for freedom, pretty par for the course, actually. So, um, but again, we we don't talk about that part of history because that's inconvenient when you're, when you're a lefty. So anyway, she says, why? Because here in Narnia is the perfect, <laughs> because here in Narnia is the perfect Republican muscular Christianity for America, that warped, distorted, neo-fascist strain that thinks might, that thinks might is proof of right. I once heard the famous preacher Norman Vincent Peale in New York expound a sermon that reassured his wealthy congregation that they were made rich by God because they deserved it. Okay, again, she's she keeps like pulling from different people. Uh, she uh, the, finds all the most absurd ones, but oddly enough, if you lined them up on a wall, none of them would line up with everything she's saying here. But anyhow, prosperity gospel, yes, most Christians deny that anyway. Uh, she says the godly will reap earthly reward because God is on the side of the strong. And again, notice that the bait and switch there, she's talking about wealth and now suddenly it's about being strong. Uh, so money equals strong, apparently, not necessarily. This appears to be C.S. Lewis's view too. In the battle at the end of the film, visually a great epic treat. The child crusaders are crowned kings and queens for no particular reason. Intellectually, the poor do not inherit Lewis's earth. What? First off, I got a problem when she says that Narnia is the perfect Republican muscular Christianity for America. Why well, gotta be hating on America, bro? You're from Britain. What are you doing? <laughs> and again, C.S. Lewis is Britit, British. Like he was English. How is this anything to do with Republican Christians? That wasn't even like a thing, really. Like what? Are you... <laughs> I'm losing brain cells here. Uh, absolutely losing brain cells. So uh, anyhow. So again, none of this follows. Might is not right. Again, that's a major problem in the Christian worldview. That's actually something we don't believe might makes right. That's a big thing Christians don't like uh, is that might makes right. Because again, Rome, Rome was in power and Rome crucified our, the Messiah. Again, 
not a big fan of that. Uh, Jesus, because, uh, let's see, uh, that's a major, uh, oh yeah, just because, again, just because you can, we say this all the time in Christianity, just because you can doesn't mean you should. That masters, in Christianity, masters, okay, those in power are told to be kind to their servants, okay? Might does not make right on the Christian worldview at all, and in fact, we teach what Jesus teaches, that the meek will inherit the earth, not the powerful, and they become kings and queens because we are told in the scriptures that those who follow Christ will be with him in paradise and that we will judge the even the angels right like that's the thing that he tells uh the followers of christ so but notice as well that the four pevensey kids all become kings and queens peter is called the high king but come on guys can we not get with the allegory here his name is literally peter something about jesus talking to peter saying uh you know on this rock help build my church come on like the guy who was endorsed by the Messiah himself. That's the point there. He's the high king, but then everyone else is equal with him, right, with him and they rule together with him. He's not better than them. It's, he's the first among equals, so to speak. But again, these, these, these morals and concepts are completely foreign to people on the left because actually the left looks at things as power dynamics. They think might makes right, which is why they're okay with rioting, which is why they're okay with taking from people, which is why they're okay with bullying people, ruining their lives and completely taking away their jobs. That's why, because might for them does make right. We have the power to do it. We can and we will, as opposed just because you should doesn't mean, just because you could does not mean you shouldn't. That's completely lost on, on these types of people. And this is what, what we talk about with, with worldliness. This is the worldly mindset here. So uh, again, Aslan doesn't say anything about Republicans. <laughs> Can't believe I have to say that out loud, but apparently here we are. Nor was that a thing in this movie or the books because Lewis was, again, a British man from the 1940s. Such concepts, again, are foreign to the movie and the book of American Republican Christianity. So, and then she goes, does any of this matter? Not really. Most children will never notice, but adults who wince at the worst elements of Christian belief may need a sick bag handy for the most religious scenes. The Guardian film critic Peter Bradshaw gives the film five stars and says, there is no need for anyone to get into a PC huff about its Christian allegory. Well, here's my huff. Yeah, I see your huff. Your huff is terrible. Like this, it's, she comes off like a spoiled brat. Like, um, it, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter, then why are you even complaining about it? So, you know, it doesn't matter. Not really. Then why are you complaining? Why are you writing this whole article and bashing entire droves of people like Christians and white people and Republicans? It's stupid. As she says that as a as a white person, I should say that's, that's the, this mm, juicy irony. Never will you find more people wanting to hate themselves for the color of their skin more than a, a leftist shill. It's just, a, it's a thing. It's crazy. So what do they say to us whenever we complain about um, LGBT stuff in films, like in The Strange World, which everyone was upset that bombed, or in the Lightyear movie? Uh, what do they tell us when we bicker about it? We'll just don't watch it. I don't see why you got to make such a big deal about it. Just don't watch it. If you don't like LGBT stuff in your movies, why are you watching it then? Don't put it in front of your eyes. Well, then uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If you don't like Christian allegories and Christian stuff, maybe you shouldn't watch a Christian allegory. That's a thought. Unbelievable. So anyway, she goes on to say, Lewis said he hoped the book would off, would soften up religious reflexes and make it easier for children to accept Christianity when they met it at, met it later in life. Holiness drenches the chronicles. 
Good. <laughs> What's the problem? When in the book, the children first hear someone say mysteriously, Aslan is on the move. He writes, now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels as if it had enormous meaning. So Lewis weaves his dream to invade children's minds with a Christian iconography that is part fairy tale, wonder, and joy, but heavily laden with guilt, blame, sacrifice, and a suffering that is dark with emotional sadism. What? Guilt and blame? How is that guilt and blame? Again, it's just he... It's not guilt and blame to tell you that there's a God that loves you to try to weave that into your mind. And again, um, <laughs> he weaves dreams by making Aslan very powerful and mystical in presence. Really? So yeah, he's supposed to be God in this. In The Magician's Nephew, it actually literally talks about him singing the worlds into being. So yes, God is connected to his creation. That's what Lewis is getting at here. I am so sorry that you don't like it but maybe you just shouldn't watch it then. Why are you griping? Uh, also, there are, of course, uh, there are, of course, uh, would-be gravitas here, but uh, even in the movie, you can tell the way the line was delivered, such a, and I'm talking about the line of uh, uh, Aslan is on the move, that line. So, of course, that would have spoken with gravitas in the film. So even in the movie, you can tell the way the line was delivered, it was supposed to be important. Do you really think the main characters wouldn't get it? And yes, it has deep meaning. Just like when Jesus was saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's supposed to be kind of giving that same message. Again, I can't help that you don't like the allegory, but you know what? Tough, because... We Christians don't have that much good media or literature out there. Most of it's trash. So I'm glad this exists. And uh, I'm going to be of a minority here, but I'm actually not a fan, uh, a fan of um, the Pilgrim's Progress much either. So I just find it, I, I don't like that allegory. I know a lot of people love it. Uh, for me, I was like, I'm like, eh, about it. So, but anyhow, uh, in my mind, like Narnia is one of the few, Narnia and Lord of the Rings are like the few Christian literature things. And I'm like, yes good literature this is nice uh hate me in the comments below that's fine all right so uh finally she closes with children are supposed to fall in love with the hypnotic aslan though he is not a character he is pure raw awesome power and he's also loving kind gracious merciful but we want to ignore that remember she's got to put her slant on it he is an emblem of everything an atheist objects to in religion his divine presence is a way to avoid humans taking responsibility for everything here and now on earth where no one is watching no one is guiding no one is judging and there is no other place yet to come ah so you just want wanted to have an atheist bend okay without an aslan there is no one here but ourselves to suffer for our sins no one to redeem us but ourselves we are obliged to settle our own disputes and do that we can we need no holy guide holy guidebooks only a very human moral compass <laughs> the very human moral compass that created the holocaust stalin's reign the 
the Babylonian Empire that was murdering folks left and right? What about the Roman Empire that everyone hates so much because it's like right, white crusadership, essentially? What about that? Oh, that moral compass? A very human moral compass indeed. Yeah, okay. Or like what happened in South America with uh, all the Aztecs sacrificing people and ripping out their hearts? Yes, very moral human compass. Okay. Everyone needs ghosts, spirits, marvels, and poetic imaginings, but we can do well without an Aslan. So basically, uh, I don't like Jesus. That's what this whole thing was, okay? It was this whole thing about not liking Jesus. So letting the cat out of the bag at the end, really, she just hates religious themes. Got it. Guess Narnia would be better off if it was nihilistic? Like, how do you, what would that look like in Narnia? To rip out the religious themes is to not have Narnia, period. You have to rewrite so much of that stinking story to not have that in there. And again, her whole like obsession with like Aslan's power. Yes, God is powerful. Aslan's supposed to be powerful. And, uh, but he's also notices love. And like, he speaks with, uh, dude, Liam Neeson was such a great choice for his voice, but he speaks with like so much gravitas to it and but yet yeah, kindness. It's just so well done. Um, anyway, basically everyone needs, re uh, so basically everyone needs religion, but she says at the end, right? Everyone needs like fables and all these different things, but uh, just not the Jesus figure type. We don't need that. You know, we don't need anyone uh, dying for our sins. You know, we don't need anyone to take our guilt away, which by the way, again, she exposes it right there. Christianity is attractive because of that, because it says, you know what? We all recognize we've all done evil and wrong, but you have hope. You have meaning. Your life is valuable, so valuable that the Messiah died for you, that God in the flesh died for you, that he came, became one of us, so that way he could die in the flesh so that you could resurrect with him. That's what he did for you. We offer hope. Like Christianity is a beacon of hope to a lost world that is suffering in their sins. Like, and, and otherwise it's just, a cold and indifferent universe. Aslan is not just raw, awesome power. He is beautiful. He is majestic. He is royalty. He is awe striking. The left always sees things as only power dynamics. That's all they see because they honestly do not understand the importance of order. Like, yes, there's authority figures. It doesn't mean might is right, but hierarchy isn't a bad thing. Know your place. I say what we say all the time, like people need to learn their place and you do need to learn your place. I need to know my place. You need to know your place. Knowing your place brings you peace. And then if you don't like your place, strive for a new place, but know your overall role. As a man, it was important for me to embrace my role of what made me a man and what makes godly leadership, what makes godly masculinity. And once I understood that, it allowed me to pursue it well and to do, to find new meaning and to, and my, same with my wife, she embraces tradi her traditional role, but you know what? She is satisfied in life because she does that. So this whole idea of power dynamics, dude, no, it's not about just that. It's about hierarchy, but they don't want that. They want chaos and they want to be in power and they want to put everyone down for it. So she wants to use her power to squash Narnia while saying Lewis's view of power is wrong. That's the hypocrisy. So, um, Jeremy, you're killing me. Bring forth the holy hand grenade. <laughs> That's basically what I'm doing right now. So this is why, uh, if you're excited for Nar uh, Narnia to be on Netflix, yeah, you shouldn't be. You should be very, 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 very concerned. And I am because 
I can see them changing so much. And the liberal theology today is so out of control. And Christianity is looked down so much. And people hate it. I mean, notice this. The most loving act in the entire movie is what she hates on the hardest. She also hates that he has power. He has enough power to destroy evil. And you hate on that. If you could destroy all evil today and you had the power to do that, I think most of us would. So why is it wrong when Aslan does it in Narnia? So, yeah, try to make sense of that one. Uh, so anyway, this is the whole problem here. And um, obviously, Narnia does not represent everything wrong with white Christianity. Narnia is a great allegory for Christianity, and Christianity has nothing to do with being white. Uh, there's a lot of white people who are Christians, but, but heads up, guys, Christianity is exploding in China and Africa, straight up. And um, it's not a white religion because literally our Messiah is a Jew and his entire, human, his entire race is Hebrew. And it's funny because the left will say all the time, like, he was probably brown-skinned. And we go, okay, and we don't care because they are obsessed with it or they're obsessed with race. We're not because we all recognize that we're all made in the image of God and equally valuable. So anyway, that is that. Um, I, as someone who's, uh, who really enjoyed the 2005 movie, but actually heads up, I actually did not care for the Narnia books much. Um, I loved the movie as a kid. I love the magician's nephew. The rest of them I found very meh. C.S. Lewis's writing style for me is very hit and miss, but I respect it for what it is. And I loved the movie when I was a child. So I, I will always probably love that film. And uh, yeah, anyway, so what are, what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts of the new Mar Narnia film coming out? And do you not see yourself how this is what's pervading our culture more and more? And this is why Christianity struggles. And this is why it's important for us to learn our theology, learn our apologetics, and push back with proper representations and showing the logical flaws. We need warriors today more than we ever have. And not because might makes right, but because we need people to push back on this sort of thing that is making that tries to throw stones at Christianity and people might get lost in the rhetoric because she's very much a rhetorician, as you could tell. She's a rhetorician. It's all bluster. It's all sanctimonious drivel, but it's really no substance. But people get lost in that and they go, oh yeah, because it's been painted and labeled. We got to rip off those labels and show it for what it is. So anyway, Christianity needs more uh, warriors in it, more, more intellectual warriors who are able to defend the faith with love and defend it with boldness and also just all around expose it for what all this for what it is, which is nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. And um, she definitely uh, has earned her job as a journalist for The Guardian because I'm afraid that I'm not sure she would be much capable of other things. Um, so <laughs> honestly, I hope she turns her turns it around. But and I'm not trying to be a complete total jerk on that. But I'm just saying when you're when you're being this harsh on Jesus and also on Narnia and you're being this ridiculous, it's a tantrum. It's just a tantrum, and I don't really think that when you act this way, I really need to show you much dignity or respect because you're not acting with dignity dignity or respect and just deserve being rebuked. And again, this was written in 2005 and things are just gonna get worse. And if this is how people feel about Narnia, imagine how much more people think about Christianity and the amount of uh, atheist, uh, atheist nonsense I see just on TikTok alone and how many likes they have and follows really should be warning the church that there is a tide coming and we need to push against it. And we need to push against it by learning our stuff, which is why I have a huge uh, passion for theology and apologetics. 
And that is why this summer I'm hoping to do some outreach activities uh, with my church. And uh, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping to partner maybe possibly with some people to be able to do it regularly. Um, so be in prayer for me about that. It's something that's been on my heart and on my mind. And um, although part of me, here's the thing, is I don't think I'd be satisfied in the pastorate too much. I, I might if I'm allowed to do the evangelism and apologetics, but usually a lot of pastors, they narrow you down to having to subscribe to one particular set of beliefs and they don't like apologists, apologists doing apologetics things, which is having a broad view. So uh, it's hard as to find a pastorate when you're uh, an apologist, apologetically centered person. That's like your focus. So uh, I'm looking at getting involved in some apologetics ministry. So um, be in prayer for that. I actually appreciate that. Uh, Jeremy says uh, official statement from Netflix is that they are working with C.S. Lewis Company to make a family friendly production. No official word on what that involvement is, but it appears his his family is involved. Hopefully. Hopefully, but I mean, again, uh, with what they've done with other um, productions, I am ho not holding my breath. I want it to be awesome. I really do, because uh, there is proof that they can do a good job. Like the Wednesday show was really good. I really enjoyed that. Stranger Things uh, is fantastic despite its flaws. Um, there's some great things on Netflix, but for every one of those, there is a, a, a Witcher, right? That just falls through. For every one of those, there is a, another canceled Netflix show. So anyway, anyhow, with that being said, guys, uh, I wanted to do this rant real quick. I am soon going to have some other guests on probably next week, I'm hoping. And I'm hoping to do more live streams because uh, I think that it just helps me interact with people more so. Um, so I, that would be really, really great. And, uh, I'm just going to end this with actually, uh, purple pill philosophy says the only thing hateful about Narnia is, uh, Jadis and Miraz's forces. Exactly. So, uh, because Narnia is, <laughs> Narnia is wholesome as hell. <laughs> I feel like you're trying to do a play on words. Are we trying to do a play on words? Narnia is wholesome as hell. I'm pretty sure that's what you were doing there. All right, guys. Um, but yeah, it is very wholesome. That's what makes it lovely. It's very family friendly and we should keep it that way. So anyhow, guys, uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to The Church Split. Um, I'm going to go now and my wife and I are going to go away for our anniversary weekend uh, here in a couple days. So I'm excited about that and I'm going to go enjoy some peace and quiet away. So with that being said, guys, I'll see you soon. Like and subscribe to The Church Split. Let me know your thoughts of this crazy article in the comments below. Leave us a five-star review and uh, check out our Patreon if you'd like. If not, who cares? So anyway, with that being said, take care and God bless.